When I was a young lawyer looking to make a difference, Dr. Jones was the ultimate inspiration. He was an attorney, a writer, an activist. He did it all. During the Civil Rights Movement, when those who were threatened by Dr. King tried to tarnish his reputation, it was Dr. Jones who joined a team of distinguished attorneys to fight back. When Dr. King was thrown in a jail cell in Birmingham, it was Dr. Jones who helped secure the money for his release. And as Dr. King prepared for the March on Washington, it was Dr. Jones who helped pen one of the most iconic speeches in history. Scripture tells us, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Again and again, Dr. Jones used his extraordinary gifts to serve others, and in the process, help bend the arc of history towards justice and freedom. Thank you for uh, having me. Uh, God willing, uh, two and a half months, I'll be 92 years of age. More powerful than the march of mighty armies is an idea whose time has come. Anybody can walk with you in the warm sunlight of an August summer, but only a wintertime soldier walks with you at midnight in the alpine chill of winter. Violence lies like molten lava beneath the streets of our cities and just waiting to erupt. Love may not conquer everything, but love as an alternative to violence uh -huh, is a very beautiful thing. I am so honored to be here to participate in this uh, impact award that bears my name. I remember like yesterday, Barry Sheck, Johnny Cochran, Robert Kardashian, and a brother whose name I can't remember was black professor at Harvard Law School, and they were talking about the Innocent Project. The Innocent Project is what they say in, in Martin's world, it's God's work. And you have to appreciate the magnitude of the Innocence Project because I'm, when I was actively practicing law, I have been inside Leavenworth and Angola and, uh, and many of your major correctional institutions. And of course, you know, they made a movie about Attica, which I was in, and so forth. So I know a little bit about uh, prisons. 
So as I said, and I won't uh, say it, I'll just send it here. I am so honored, deeply honored. And just as an aside, by the way, you know, in March, the University of North Carolina is going to be uh, publishing my memoirs. Memoirs are called The Last of the Lions. Hold on. <laughs> and it's based on an African proverb. And that proverb says, if the surviving lions don't tell their stories, the hunters will get all the credit. You hear me? So I'm a little moved and touched that here I am, some policy makers, I hope that as you follow the news about my hardcover book coming out, you will remember, because you want to know the real story. I'm, I was there. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I know. I'm credited. I mean, I don't say that. It's just a fact with the first seven and a half paragraphs of the I Have a Dream speech. But meanwhile, it's not about me. It's about this award that doesn't bear my name. And so I want to thank you and thank uh, Comnet for inviting me to participate in this part of their program. Thank you so much. All right. No, no, no. the professorial side of me, and I've been around a little bit. And what ComNet and what some of these subjects you're, you're dealing with are fantastic. And they reflect my state of mind, which don't fuck with me. <laughs> First? Yeah, I'm okay. okay. Mm -hmm. And I think it's time, I'm going to do this from the side of the stage, to invite our judges onto the stage to present the award. If you'll wait there one quick second, sir. Jill, Lita, Jose.
Hello, everybody. My name is Jill Schwartz. I am a very proud member of the Communications Network Board of Directors. And I always love this moment in the conference when Dr. Jones speaks. Dr. Jones, you are such an inspiration to all of us. You motivate us to be strategic communicators, not just communicators. And you inspire us to remember the end game when we're doing everything we do in the world, whether it is in our personal lives or in the work world. Everyone in this room is a strategic communicator, but there are some who are extraordinary. They are game changers. In terms of the impact they are having on the world and the fact that they're making the world a better place. They, pure, they help prove that communications can have an impact and that that impact can be measurable. We honor them with the Clarence B. Jones Impact Award, which is given every year to an individual, a team, or an organization. And the past winners, some of you have, may have seen them at other conferences, are the Truth Initiative, United We Dream, a Step Ahead Chattanooga, and the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition. I was one of the judges for this year's award, and let me tell you, it was not an easy assignment. All of the nominees are amazing. They've done incredible work in raising awareness, changing people's behaviors, and inspiring actions. The others who served on the committee with me are Jose Munoz from United We Dream, and Lida Venegas from Mary Center, and you had a chance to see the other judges' uh, names and faces pop up earlier today. I'm now gonna introduce, uh, have Jose take the stage and tell us the, about the award winner. Thanks so much, Jill. Good morning, everyone. My name is Jose Munoz. Uh, I'm super excited to be here representing United We Dream and our over one million members who make up undocumented young people, uh, children of immigrants, and allies. As the recipients of last year's Clarence B. Jones Impact Award, um, it's thrilling to be able to be here, uh, to have been able to participate on the judging panel, and to be able to introduce this year's winners. As communicators, we all had a unique opportunity to shape the way that people perceive the world. The stories that we work to place in the media, the social media campaigns that we lead, and the speeches that we help to write can be powerful. They can force into the light some of the darkest injustices that we face as a nation. And for 30 years, the work of the Innocence Project has done just this. They've worked to restore the freedoms of a staggering number of people who have been wrongfully convicted while shedding light on the systems that allow these injustices to occur in the first place. In 2020, the Innocence Project mounted a powerful campaign to stay and ultimately overturn the conviction of Purvis Payne, a black man with an intellectual disability in Shelby County, Tennessee. Using the power of storytelling, they focused on presenting a full picture of Mr. Payne, telling his very compelling story, including shining a light on the racism prevalent in the legal system, which contributed to his conviction in the first place. The Innocence Project was able to mobilize millions of people to sign petitions, call legislators, they held events, they worked with uh, influencers to post on social media platforms like TikTok, their multi-strategy campaign went on for over a year, uh, and ultimately it ended in Purvis Payne being taken off death row. 
Their successful campaign is a powerful reminder of the real-world impact that we all get to have with our work. Their work is proof that when we challenge, call out, and organize around correcting racial injustices, not only can we win, but we can make a real-world impact and change people's lives. And so, please join me in welcoming and congratulating this year's Clarence B. Jones Impact Award winners, The Innocence Project. Uh, and from The Innocence Project, we have Alicia Mall, uh, their Director of Digital Engagement, and we also have Rolanda Holman, who is Purvis Payne's sister. Congratulations. Congratulations. We're so honored. Thank you so much, Dr. Jones. You're a legend. I don't think, uh, as a, as a mixed race child, I'd be on the stage if it wasn't for you and the work of Dr. King. And now, Rolanda, we're going to show you how we work together to get Purvis Payne, her dear brother and our client, off death row. All right. Thank you, Alicia. I'm so honored to be here today. And as she said, I am Rolanda Holman. I am Purvis's um, youngest sister. And I tell you, you guys look amazing out there. So let me tell you a little bit over the next few minutes, um, Alicia and I are going to take you on a journey of Purvis's life. And I believe by the end of today, um, you will understand why they are receiving the Dr. Clarence B. Jones Award. You can see here, this is my brother Purvis. I'm sorry, let me go back one. There we go. Here is Purvis, okay? June 27th, 1987, in Millington, Tennessee, as they said in Shelby County, in the Deep South, just right up the street from the state line of Mississippi, Purvis was going to visit his girlfriend, and he realized she wasn't home, and right across from the apartment there, he heard some faint cries of a baby. And so Purvis saw the door was also open, so he went in and he said, I'm coming in, I'm coming in. And when he walked in, he saw the most horrific thing that he's ever seen before in his life. There was a Caucasian mother and her two children who had been brutally stabbed. There was blood that was plastered all over the floor. So Purvis walked in and he had blood on his shoes and he knelt down to tell the mother, he said, I am going to get help. So he had blood on his knee. Purvis reached to the phone to call 911, and then he heard the sirens. And when he heard the sirens, he said, oh, the police are here. So he went to the step to meet them, to tell them something about, you know, this, this, this crime has just happened. So when he got to the step, the police was coming up, and he said, hey, these people up here need help. He said, somebody have hurt them. And the police stood at the bottom, and he said, what are you doing with that blood on your clothes, boy? Purvis was like, whoa, boy. And he realized that this is not going to turn out in my favor. So needless to say, and sadly to say, that the, one of the, the mother and one of her children did pass away. And Purvis was convicted of that crime and sentenced to death. And 35 years later is history. But today, we're going to share with you how, an innocent, how the internet stopped an innocent man's execution. So you look at this picture here, you know, it's a mugshot. 
how they dehumanized him. Purvis had no history of, of criminalization, nothing they could find on him. Why? Because this is not Purvis's character. I look at this picture, and there are many things that come to mind. Uh, one good thing, but I tell you something that comes to mind is that I, re I remember him saying that I wish you all would know that I am not the one who hurt these people, but I was the one who was trying to help them. Now, the good thing that I like about this is the Jerry Curl. Come on. In the 1980s, you know, the Jerry Curl. You know, we have Rick James and Michael Jackson. You know, we used to dance to their music. And the Jerry Curl gives me life, and it reminds me of how much of a good time that we had back in the day. You know, they tell me a couple of things. They say that a picture it's worth a thousand words. Some people say a picture is worth a million words. But to me, I cannot find the words to describe what this picture means to me because it was my family. This is when we were all together. Reminds me of, you know, beautiful times that we had as, as a family of Christmas and Thanksgivings and those celebrations that we had. It saddens me because my mother and my sister are no longer with us today. So I'm that little girl who is, you can barely see this trying to smile. My sister is the one that's doing this, that's saying, please hurry up and take this picture. And of course, that is my brother, but I'm going to tell you all, not speaking of the Jerry Curl, but you got to give it up for my mother with the Diana Ross Supreme wig. Come on, let's give it up for my mother, okay? A woman who was daring, and it was like, I like big hair, I like Dan, Diana Ross, so I'm going to wear my big wig, okay? And of course, that is my father. Now, I, I love this, and I, it reminds me of so much. You know, sometimes people look at that mugshot of my brother, and they wonder, was my father available? Was he there? You know, were they raised in a poor home, or so forth and so on? Well, my father was always present with us. He never left us. He was always raising us and in the home with us. Now, whether we were rich or not, to me, whenever I wanted Fruit Loops, I got Fruit Loops and not Fruit Rings or Fruit Grounds. So to me, we were doing pretty good, okay? I thought we were doing pretty good as a family. In this picture here, you see me on the right-hand side, the little girl. I was around one or two years old. I could never call him brother, so I would call him Bubba. And to this day, 48 years old, I still call him Bubba. As you see, my father was a minister. He still, of course, he's a minister, and he uh, pastored a church for 37 years and just recently retired this year. And so Purvis was one who always uh, was helpful. He would pick up the parishioners when he was able to drive and take them to and fro from church. And the behavior that Purvis had outside of prison was that of never being in any trouble. As a matter of fact, when he got in his trouble, they were trying to find a record of him, and they could not find one. And that good record of his behavior followed him all the way through prison. And of 35 years, he has not had one disciplinary action on his record. It was so amazing to the court until they had to get the uh, the warden, the disciplinarian warden, last December to come and to show to, and, and to... Um, to confirm that he really hasn't had that any disciplinary action on his record in 35 years. And so that tells me that the same character that he had before prison is the same character that he carried after prison. This um, picture of me was me today advocating for my brother because 
I, this is what I do. I'm his number one supporter. And it was an interview that I actually had with the Tennessean. And the Tennessean is a newspaper that covers about 39 counties in the state of Tennessee. So in September of 2019, the attorney general in Tennessee submitted nine names to the Tennessee Supreme Court for those inmates to receive a death date. Now, previously, that wasn't a major concern to me because in two decades, Tennessee had not executed anyone. So at this moment, I knew that at in the early part of 2019, Tennessee started to execute inmates. And I said, if they set my brother a date, they are definitely going to carry out with his execution. There was a fire that lit inside my soul. And I said, not on my watch that this is not going to happen. So what did I do? Thank you. I said, not on my watch. And so I began to get, reach out to social, me social media, and I began to let them know what was going on, and I began to, you know, gather my people, and lo and behold, I came up with my five ride or dies. <laughs> These are people right here that I said, listen, guys, I said, I need your help. I said, if it gets ugly, if it gets nasty, are you there with me? And they said, yes, we are there with you. So I'll start off in the top right-hand corner. That is attorney April Frazier Kamara. She was actually a childhood friend of mine, and um, she grew up with us. And when she was a little girl, she told my father, she said, Pastor Payne, when I grow up, I am going to be a lawyer and I am going to help Purvis get out of prison. And lo and behold, she has done that to this day. She has given us all that she knows and still helping us. In the middle, I have my, my, um, my protester. On the far right, uh, that's Dr. Brooks. I have my marcher. And um, the, those on the two, the late two beautiful ladies on the bottom, they are my resource people. They are the ones that I connected to to make sure that we start to do a, a major campaign as it relates to Purvis. These are my rider dies. Now, whenever you have a rider, somebody has to drive, right? <laughs> You don't get in a car. You're like, where are we going? You have to have someone who knows where they're going. And I am honored to say this is our lawyer, Attorney Kelly Henry, who has been a fierce uh, leader and lawyer. Yes, you can give it up for her. Thank you. Because if it wasn't for her driving this campaign, I'm driving, not the campaign, but driving the law, I don't know where we would be today. A lot of people say, Rolanda, I think you're the driver. I said, no, I am the voice of purpose. I am the face of purpose. But she is the one that has been able to tell us when to turn, how to turn, and how to get there. My dad has a statement. He said, is going, can't tell, been there, how to get there. Now, I can't say that again because of lack of time. So, this lady, Cece Jones Davis, she had led a campaign, a death row campaign for Julius Jones. She already knew how to get there, so all I had to do was reach out to her so she could help me lead the way for Purvis. This is just my marcher here, Dr. Andre Brooks. And um, he was, we led this march on, uh, in Memphis, I Am a Man march. And then we have here some other boots on the grounds. You see the protests down here. Now with um, 
my protester, he started protesting in Memphis. That is Dr. Andre Johnson. He started protesting in Memphis, and he did it every Wednesday for one year. The boots on the ground that we did in, from starting from that one man grew us into thousands and thousands and thousands of supporters. So that was a good thing. After we began to do all of that, and I mean, guys, we were moving. I could smell the meat cooking. Right? They said good meat makes us what? Own gravy. Somebody knows it. Good meat makes its own gravy. And so it was cooking by that time. And I tell you, I could smell the meat brewing from the East Coast to the West Coast. And I thought to myself, I said, I have taken this as far as I can, but I, I, there, there needs to be another catapulting somewhere. And I'm so grateful that we were able to build a dream team through the Innocence Project when they joined us. On the far right-hand side, you will see attorney Vanessa Potkin, and that's Kelly Henry, myself, Cece Jones-Davis, and Alicia. At this point, Alicia said, well, we're going to take on and we're going to do the media, and she was able to almost like take the little two fish and the five loaves of bread and multiply it into what you see today. So because of her multiplication and her expertise, this is why we are honoring the work and the leadership that he, she has done. So today, I present to you and introduce to you Alicia Mall, who is the Digital Engagement Director of the Innocence Project. Alicia. Thank you, Rolanda. What a, what a great teammate. Who wouldn't want to work with Rolanda? Who wouldn't want to be a part of her team? All right. So Alicia Mall here. For seven years, my goal at the Innocence Project, we know from Dr. Jones that we've been in the game for 30 years. We are the best at getting people out of prison use, using DNA to reform the system. I wanted to make sure that people like Purvis had the best digital team behind them. That has been my goal. As it relates to this campaign, it was the summer of July 2020, the height of the pandemic. We were afraid. We, COVID was going on. People were out of work. It was a scary time. I get a call from Vanessa Potkin, our lead attorney, who has helped exonerate over 30 people from prison. And she says, Alicia, we have a case. We need the help of the digital team. We had five months, the clock was ticking, to stop Governor Lee from carrying out Rolanda, the execution of Purvis, or Bubba, Rolanda's brother, on December 3rd, 2020. It's okay, we got this. We were ready for this. We've been building for this. My team's ready to make this happen. Do you all know what makes your audience tick? Do you guys know what gets your audience to click? Who knows? I knew. I knew that the death penalty, when an innocent person was facing an execution, our community would rise up, drop everything they're doing, and take action. Do you treat your community like an extension of your team? As digital organizers, I think of the audience and the community as a part of my team. We cannot pass laws without you making calls to your lawmakers. We can't keep the organization going if you don't donate once and twice. And we can't stop the ex execution of Purvis Payne without millions of people stopping one minute a day to read, share, and call on his behalf. So we do treat our community like an extension of our team. 
Do you have, oh, and so this is an extension of our team. <laughs> um, do you have your toolbox ready to go? What are the tools that you need that when you're called to action to jump on a campaign that you're ready to go? We had it. We had the systems in place. We had email ready to go. We had social media, the web. And then the game changer here is mobile. Mobile is a game changer. If you are giving me your number and you're signing up to help free Purvis Payne, that is a high bar. You're highly engaged. We had everything ready to go. Now, the most important lesson here for me, what keeps me grounded every day, do you center, your, you center people and your clients over everything else, people over profits, okay? And our person, I couldn't be more honored to represent Purvis Payne. This is Purvis in December of 2021, the first time he was able to wear a suit in court with his attorney, Kelly Henry, the first time. These are the images that we get to select and give our clients the due justice they needed after 34 years of being disrespected by the legal system. Team, team is everything to me. Of course, I'm working with Kelly Henry and Vanessa Potkin and Laura Burstein, who is the premier comms expert. Every death penalty case you see, her team is working day in and day out. And then it's me and my team, the digital team, all right? We are the, the jetpack on top of Purvis, on top of Rolanda, on top of the communications efforts and the litigation efforts. We are the jetpack taking the audience and bringing millions in for Purvis. All right, so you guys wanna know the inside scoop. What were we doing? Okay, day one, internal strategy deck and roadmap. Let's get the team on the same page on our goals, our objectives, our hashtags. This is a campaign, it's hashtag Purvis Pain. We purchased purvispain.org immediately. So in the news bites, when Kelly's on TV or when Rolanda's on TV, you wanna learn more, purvispain.org, that is the campaign hub. We identified who are the key influencers in Tennessee, the basketball teams, the NFL teams, the, the um, country music stars, the black community, which was such a big part of where Rolanda and her family came from, the religious community. All of these are the people who would carry us to a, a victory for Purvis. We're in the state of Tennessee. Um, our, our beautiful target is Governor Bill Lee. As you all know, in the 20 states that still allow the death penalty, when a date, is, uh, a date of a client is set, only the governor can stop the execution. So Bill Lee had to get a few phone calls from the Purvis Payne team. And, um, and then we have our audience, again, we're in Tennessee, and he wants to hear from Rolanda and, her, and the, her, the community members of Tennessee, not from New Yorkers like me. So we got to build up the audience in the state. Here are the communications tools we used. Calendar, not just for the key dates for Purvis's legal case. What are the big moments in history coming up? How do we keep Purvis's name relevant to the news in the world? Our email systems, so I don't, I don't have to email automatically Rolanda or Kelly or, or Vanessa, create an email listserv, boom, for everything Purvis Payne. Daily news, Laura's team would send us all the news related to Purvis every day so we can monitor what were the stories we wanted to share, perhaps what were the stories we didn't want to share. Slack channel, the digital team is organized on Slack. We opened up a Purvis Payne channel for all things related to Purvis Payne so we wouldn't miss a beat.
weekly meetings. Of course, we had other campaigns, but with five months to go, Purvis was a priority and we were meeting all the time and staying on top of it. And then the last thing is text threads, right? You're in the middle of production, email's overwhelming. If you wanna reach me, call me, text me. So I'm getting breaking news from inside the courtroom instead of waiting for an email from the attorneys to be the first to break the news. I'm, send, I'm also a DJ, so I'm sending Rolanda and the team you know, great mixes to keep the energy going. She's telling me what's going on in Memphis. I'm telling her what's going on in New York. We kept it personal. The toolbox, budget, very important. So I could tell my, my colleague Steve to say, this is how much money we have to spend on ads for Purvis. We went through the internal strategy uh, doc and roadmap. You know about the internal communications tools. The Purvis Pain Hub, purvispain.org is everything. That's all you need to know. If you forget your name, you know to go to purvispain.org. That's where the information is. Marketing plan. We are building a brand for Purvis that can be worn and sung on the streets. And then reporting systems. I wouldn't be on this stage, I wouldn't be talking about anything if I didn't know that the death penalty was an issue that our audience cared about because I'm looking at the analytics, so setting up all analytics related to Purvis pain. Now, the great honor here is to be able to show the wonderful Purvis to the world, the Bubba that Rolanda knows, not the mugshot below. That doesn't do him justice. We want people to know love and fight for him given the injustice he faced in his case. So as our job at the Innocence Project to tell his story in the most compassionate way possible. So we researched in 2020 when we got the assignment, there was one, track, one low traction blog post about his case. Let me tell you, this is great because this means that everything we talk about is gonna come from us and not from some shoddy news outlet. So this, this is Google um, Trends, and here you can look up, this, is, this chart shows the traction for Purvis Payne's name. So you can see how everything spiked up after that. Purvispain.org, let me give you a tip here. The best thing you can do is hire a brilliant writer. I hired a brilliant writer, Danielle Selby, and she knows how to break down these complicated legal cases into but, you know, consumable, little um, bullets that anyone can just apply on any platform. So PurvisPain.org broke down his case. Purvis Payne is a black man living with an intellectual disability, facing an execution for a crime he didn't um, commit, and then the case for what went wrong in his, in his legal case that makes it obvious that we shouldn't carry, carry out the execution. The PurvisPain.org hub also had his um, petition page where you can get involved. This was anything you need to know. This was the campaign hub that would t get the world to, to stand behind him. Simplifying the message, this is an example of an Instagram post that then we broke down every point. Now let's grow the team, the petition page. Even before we had the eight facts, the quickest thing we can do is get you to sign up to support his campaign before it was too late and we're growing the team in Tennessee. This is the petition page that grows the audience and grows his team. Now, I wanna win on Google. Do you all know how to win on Google? Yes, no? We're winning on Google, and we're winning on Google by 
it, what, what it means is that when you Google Purvis Payne, I want the Innocence Project to be number one so that we are the source of his narrative and so people prioritize the content that we have crafted with the support of the lawyers, the comms team, and Rolanda. A couple ways to do this. Being first, publish first, publish long, and use Google Ad Grants. Google gives nonprofits $10,000 of free money every month to make sure your content is prioritized, take advantage of that. We had additional ad spend for Google Ads. Um, very important that we win on Google. Keep the ads flowing, we use ads in in, in, on Instagram and, and Facebook to, I, to precisely target Tennesseans so we could grow the Tennessee list. Keep that going. And the beauty here is that calendar, it was July, told us that it was Emmett Till's birthday. So Danny came up with this post to use his historical landmark mark and story to say Emmett Till was decades ago. You don't know Emmett Till, but you should know about Purvis. You know Emmett Till, but you don't know about Purvis. And he's, Purvis is facing the same things Emmett Till is facing. All right, so we're taking a, a big American moment and we're connecting it to Purvis. This really got his story on the map within the first month that we launched the campaign. And then we're building a brand. The previous death penalty campaign I worked on for Rodney Reed, his family had carefully made these beautifully handmade t-shirts. And I said, okay, Purvis, we're gonna, we're gonna make some t-shirts that anyone can purchase so that when you're on the streets at the Wednesday, I am a man march, you can wear it. When you're in the news for Purvis, you can wear it. It's a conversation piece, it has the hub. We're growing his brand. And the best thing about this is the funds for the t-shirts went to Rolanda and her family. Not only um, is it you know, emotionally wearing to have a loved one in prison, but there's obviously economic constraints, so all the funds went directly to her family. Center the family and voices impacted. We heard it yesterday with Stephanie Land. We must center the people impacted by systemic racism and violence, okay? So I had the great pleasure of being able to amplify the work that Rolanda was already doing for 35 years. It's all about her. Now I'm gonna share an example of how we created personal video from Rolanda and her dad about Purvis to get our audience connected to Purvis. You know how it is when you got your first child. First child is very important. Purvis, he was born premature. And we had a great plan for him because he was the oldest one. And we thought for a while he was going to be the only child that we had. My brother Purvis Payne is scheduled to die this year, December the 3rd, for a crime he did not commit. DNA testing could prove his innocence. My brother is living with an intellectual disability and it is unconstitutional to execute a person with an intellectual disability. I call him Bubba. I tell Bubba, I said, Bubba, you, you were convicted as soon as they saw you because of the color of your skin. I will continue for the rest of my life as long as it takes to fight for my brother's freedom. And it's not too late to save his life. 
All right, we have less than five months to go. We got to create urgency. So my text messengers, the people who gave us the number, we were able to text and say, call the governor, take an action. It's the, it's the text message. You know why? Because over 98% of people who get a message from the Innocence Project may open it compared to 20% for email and social media, two to 5%. Start building your SMS list if you haven't already. It's gonna be the game changer. As editors and writers, it might seem repetitive to be producing the same thing over and over again, but we must repeat the message. Purvis Payne faces execution on this date. Take action before it's too late. Over and over again. Every time you produce something on a social channel or an email, someone may be seeing it for the first time. So it might seem repetitive to you, but it's how you get the, the campaign message out there over and over again. Make it easy to share the content. As soon as you sign up to Purvis's petition page, you get a, an option to share it, copy and paste it to your Twitter, and boom, no work. It goes to your audience and it amplifies his message. Make it easy. We're in November of 2020. We have 28 days to stop Governor Lee from carrying out Purvis's execution on December 3rd. Time is ticking. On this day in November, we got the good news that Purvis was granted a reprieve until April 9th because of COVID, but his life was still in jeopardy and we had to, we, we, some of the pressure you know, was offset, but we were not done. So it's December of 2020. William Barr and uh, former President Trump had reinstituted the death penalty on the federal level, and they were executing people every week. We're looking at the news and we see that Brandon Bernard, a black man from, from Texas, was gonna get executed for a crime he did not physically commit, but he was with the group that did, the law of parties. So they were gonna execute him for something some people thought was an innocence case. Millions of people tweeting, stop the execution of Brandon Bernard. Kim Kardashian chimed in, which is a, a, a very high threshold of attention that we get every now and then. They executed Brandon Bernard. We're seeing on Twitter, Brandon Bernard's executed, but we can still save Purvis Payne. So all of the millions of people who were going behind Brandon Bernard and paying attention to the slew of executions happening on the federal death row went to our client, Bubba, our, our Rolanda's brother Bubba, and our client Purvis. So you see that big Google trend, that Google analytics to our, to our website was Brandon Bernard. It gave us life for this campaign. Also, as we're, as we're looking at the analytics, we see that a young lady is bringing in thousands of signups for Purvis through TikTok. And we're like, what? Had we not been paying attention, we wouldn't have seen what, we, what we're about to show you now. Okay, so if you care about black lives at all, please stop scrolling. Not many people know, but this right here is Purvis Payne. He is on death row for a crime that he did not commit. And his last day is on December 3rd, exactly a week from today. 
I know most of us can't do much, but please visit PurposePain.org and inform yourself and spread awareness on this issue because I don't want to wake up on December 3rd to find out another black man has died innocently. In this country, they'll tell you you're innocent until proven guilty. Unless you're Purvis Payne, then you're guilty with proof of innocence. Purvis Payne is currently on death row for a crime he more than likely did not commit. And I find it disturbing that the police would even tell him you think you're black now? Just wait until we fry you during his interrogation. Purvis had no priors, but they called him an animal. Said he was in a drug-fueled frenzy with no evidence, and they didn't test him. Withholding, losing, won't allow or won't test DNA evidence. Constitutionally, Purvis Payne should not even be on death row. With his proven intellectual disability, Shelby, Tennessee has a history and if they can't have strange fruit they'll put your ass in the chair and in 25 days april 9th they're gonna proceed with a modern day lynching they're gonna put him to death all over our social media we need to use the hashtags purvis pain justice for purvis make a video bringing awareness if you can't share this do edit stitch it stand with me and mlk the third calling for clemency for purvis pain let's give it up for the tiktokers So thank you to Google, Google Analytics. We saw this going on. And what did they do? They took the PurposePain.org hub. They copied and pasted Dan, Danny's eight facts. They're using the hashtag. They're inviting their users to join them. This was a, this, these were our cheerleaders. This is what we needed, this energy in December 2020. So um, next I will show you a video that shows how we connected all these incredible people giving life to, to the campaign. This was the first time we used Purvis's voice to connect with his supporters so that they knew that he was listening. And after 35 years of only having Rolanda and the family cheering for him, he now had millions of people standing behind him. Hello, everybody. This is Purvis, and I'd like to thank every last one of you for your time that you have sacrificed from your family, from your loved ones, to reach out and work with me and my family, as well as my law team. And y'all have really caused me to feel hopeful. It's one of the first times in 33 years that I don't feel alone. It was April 2021. Purvis is getting his folks engaged to keep fighting until the April 9th reprieve. Now we've identified this new community. Let's bring them in. We had a private grassroots call with all, inviting all the TikTokers using hashtag Purvis Pain to come meet Rolanda, to come meet Kelly, to come meet the team, to thank them, give them a strategy ahead, make sure they had the graphics and the content they needed to continue to produce videos. And that was super important, right, to thank the community. We also did public live streams where anyone can watch, ask questions, learn about the case, get engaged, and keep the momentum going. We showed up for the community. They showed up for us. We weren't on TikTok before those videos. The, we launched a TikTok, and the first video is a video you just saw of Purvis Payne. We, we, we got wind of some of our best organizers were out of Martha's Vineyard. In the, black li in, the, in the energy around black lives, they latched on to Purvis's campaign and they were compelled. Martha's Vineyard had an event. We showed up for them because they had been showing up. Number one, to say thank you. Number two, because our efforts for Purvis were not over. Meanwhile, in the spring, 
from the beginning of the campaign, the Tennessee Black Caucus, right? We identified in the beginning that our, that our influencers would be the black community the, the, and lawmakers. They were pushing a bill that would make it illegal for the state of Tennessee to move forward with Purvis's execution, given that he was living with an intellectual disability. When the bill got legs in the spring, we plugged in the audience, the Tennessee audience we had been building for months to call their lawmakers to help pass the bill. Phone to action is the tool that makes it extremely easy for us to connect our constituents to their lawmakers through mobile means. We had 900 people make 900 phone calls in the state of Tennessee. I would say on average in any state we're about 50. So this was an incredible show out, um, turnout. Bill Lee, uh, the, the law was passed and Bill Lee signed the bill preventing the execution of people um, like Purvis and others from being executed. A really, really major moment in the campaign, but it wasn't over because we had the DA fighting us. So with the breaking news, we continue the next step. Call, D email DA Wyrick, and if you're not from the state of Tennessee, let's get that million for Purvis. The fight continues. The clock had stopped, all right? So the urgency is, is over, but now is time to challenge DA Wyrick and continue um, to do what we can to, to get Purvis home. We kept the drumbeat. Rolanda and her rider dies had planned a day of action in September. And instead of it just being them in Memphis, we had our Martha's Vineyard people. This is us in Union Square in New York. The drumbeat was growing. The movement for Purvis was now national and global. The world was watching. We had taken over the news. We had taken over social media. We had taken over TikTok. We had taken over the streets. It was the fall of 2021. A lot of the work started to be more behind the scenes. And we were, you know, doing less public and, and shifting our focus to Julius Jones. On November 23rd, he was set to be executed. And we talked about C.C. Jones and how that inspired Rolanda was set to be executed in Oklahoma at 4 p.m. Something incredible happened. An Innocence Project supported the campaign, did everything possible with all the energy from Purvis's supporters went to help Julius. Something incredible happened. In a nail biter at 12.15 p.m., a few hours before the 4 p.m. execution, Governor Stitt grants Julius life without parole. A great relief for someone who knows how these last moments are of a person's life. At 1.44 p.m., Innocence Products attorneys were in the court for their clients, Mr. Aziz and Mr. Islam, who were wrongly convicted for over 40 years of killing Malcolm X. After 40 years, one of the biggest cases in history, our attorneys are in there getting them the well-deserved exoneration. 4 p.m., luckily the execution had, was, was over. It didn't go through. At 4.19, I check my phone, right? It's a day of, of great emotion and great relief. And Laura Burstein says, we are about to get another. Please stand by. On the day that Julius Jones avoided the death penalty, on the day that two men were exonerated for the murder of Malcolm X, 
after 40 years, Purvis Payne was removed from death row. Today, he has a chance of being on stage with us, and I hope in the future he will be. And we, we've organized um, a special message from him to all of you. Hello. This is Purvis Payne. I am very grateful for the digital work, the innocent project created for my campaign. Because of their work, I have gained over one million supporters and he is one step closer to coming home. Come Ned, thank you so much for acknowledging their dedicated work towards my freedom. Congratulations, Innocent Project, for receiving the Clarence B. Jones Award. Have a blessed day. I have no doubt, I have no doubt that Purvis, as soon as he gets out of prison, please invite him so he can accept this award. And thank you to all of you for listening. Congratulations. Thank you. You did brilliant. That was awesome. Thank you. And that's how you win the Jones Award. I hope we get the opportunity to welcome one of you up to this stage next year. Questions? Oh, yeah. We're going to do questions. We absolutely <laughs> should. I don't know if we have a microphone out, and if we yeah, don't... They're, they're uh, in the aisles. Oh, they're there. Okay, great. <laughs> then I'm going to get off the stage. You do your thing. Feel free to jump in, ask a question, or you can say a hallelujah, too. <laughs> Don't be shy. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Jones. Okay. Hi. Hi, my name is Edmi Ayala. I work with Ciencia in Puerto Rico in Puerto Rico, and I'm very big on realistic hope. And I was just wondering what you guys did to just keep up the hopes for 35 years and now as a community. Yeah, thank you. Well, you know, I have a definition that I created for hope, and I get asked that question a lot. And my hope, my definition is hope is the anticipation and the expectation that something good is going to happen. It is the assurance that it hasn't happened yet, but it will. And so I've always carried that with me. And, you know, it's kind of difficult when you see, but it was my determination that you know, something had to happen. I don't know what really sparked in me, but when that September 2019, it was like, no, I've got to do something. This is not going to happen on my watch. And I just began, you know, I'm a person of faith, and I believe that faith without works is dead. And I put everything into what I had to get us to where we are um, to this point. That's me from a personal perspective of 35 years. Great question, and I think that response is great. Over here. 
Yeah, hi, my name's Amber Taylor. Um, I wanted to know a little bit more about like when, um, and trying to do like the storytelling work, um, particularly for people who are behind the bars, it's so difficult to get those pictures, those voices, those just like those many little humanizing moments. And so I wanted to know like how you both capture that, practically speaking, but also like when you don't have, or when it's really difficult to get those, um, you know, the, you know, telling like those stories because I know also families get they get tired too, like of keeping the drumbeat going. So yeah, do you have any advice on? Yeah, that? that's a great question. Image is everything when we're trying to move away from the mugshot and that's all that our client has. So we couldn't get in there to take photos as much as we would have liked because of COVID. So COVID did um, prove to be a challenge. And that's when the relationships working closely with Rolanda and the attorneys come into play because you just have to tell them what they what you need to do your job. And it's those images that we need in terms of like getting content from Purvis, like the one that he, the him to Comnet, Rolanda speaks to him multiple times a week and working with the attorneys. But certainly um, having thoughtful um, photojournalists who have been in prisons before, I think that um, is a step ahead. They know the drill. It's unpleasant. You know, you're going to get strip searched and you have to deal with the dynamics and someone knows who, who, who is comfortable and has experience in that environment, I think is super important. Hi, my name's Jessica Blank. I'm a writer, director, and story trainer. I wrote the play The Exonerated, so I go way back with The Innocence Project, and it's thank just you. incredible mm -hmm. to, thank you. It's incredible to see, since 20 years ago, what digital media makes possible in this space, and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Can you tell us where Purvis's case is at now legally, what the action items are to actually get him exonerated and out, and what we can do to help? Okay, so where we are now is that once we, we went to court on last year, it was um, to overturn um, his conviction from consecutive to con uh, current. And so the district attorney at the time, Amy Wyrick, she appealed that because she felt like it should be consecutive. That's what we're fighting right now. So we're fighting um, to go back to court, and we'll be doing that on November the 1st. We'll be arguing, arguing in front of three judges to explain to them why his sentence should be concurrent. As is concurrent right now, he has an opportunity to be on parole uh, within four years. And so we're kind of taking, we have a bigger picture, but we're playing the field right now, taking the baby steps that we need. But there are some good things that our lawyer, our driver, remember the driver, you have to have a driver who has planned behind the scenes that, that is really gonna come into play. So that's where we are right now with his case. That the public can do to help apply pressure in this November with that next move? Well, with that next move, I will, we have a new um, di district attorney now, um, Steve Mulroy. Um, instead of maybe sending like we did with, with well, he's more supportive, but we maybe we can just do a blast something sending to him just to let him know that the people are hurry still up, listening. Hurry up. Conviction Integrity Unit, let's yes, go. Yes, and we're asking for that too. We're asking for that in Memphis, a new Conviction Integrity Unit. So things like that would be, you know, definitely helpful to let him know that the community is still concerned about Purvis. Excellent, thank you. What you could, thank you for the question. What you can also do is purvispain.org, add your name to the petition, so we'll give you the new, what you need to do next. And of course, 
um, follow The Innocence Project at Innocence on Twitter ins and Instagram. And if you like what you heard, make sure you give us a follow and a shout out. <laughs> I have two questions, if you can try to take both. Number one, with the stakes so high, how do you um, kind of manage the weight of that with the team doing the work, especially when you know, a man's life is on the line. Um, just the stress of that, I can only imagine how that weighs on that team day to day. And then the second question is, um, where did something go wrong in the campaign and, and how did you pivot? Um, did you find yourself in that situation at all and, and what did you do to adjust? So in terms of the stress of the campaign, this was our second death penalty campaign. Um, Rodney Reed was the first. So um, experience doing it, I think, helps because we know how we could make this campaign better. Um, and part of it is as a person trying to get people to do their specific jobs, I think it's really important to um, keep people going through good news and through positivity. Um, and that's why we talked about sending each other music. And uh, that was a big part of how the core team stayed engaged. But um, I think a lot of what I talked about was being ready and having the tools. We really were ready to take on this campaign. We had done it before, we had grown the audience. Um, Innocence Project has the resources and the community over 30 years in the making. So it was being ready. And I do, you know, I've worked on political campaigns and I think there is great um, advantage to having done it before. So since Purvis's campaign, we worked on Melissa Lucio's campaign in Texas. She would have been the first Latina executed and it was a bilingual campaign. I mean, Purvis Base went to go help um, Melissa. So with every campaign, it doesn't, it's not even about the individual anymore. It's about creating a framework um, for justice for the next person. Um, so actually the energy is quite um, helpful, but I don't know, stress is, is, is hard and you gotta have good relationships with your team, um, take good care of your health and um, know that for a few months uh, they come, you know, your, your client is, is the focus. Mm -hmm. And um, mistakes or challenges, COVID was a challenge um, and everything else is be a little too sensitive because it's legal stuff. Uh, question over here. Hi, thank you so much. Um, I'm JD Schramm, I'm in uh, private practice in the Bay Area. Uh, but I also teach at USC's Annenberg School of Communication. I cannot wait to take this back and teach to my students. This is a, a remarkable case study. Um, what I'm still unclear about, and, until the very end when you brought up the piece with the DA, what was your opposition, especially early on? What was, were there, were there family members of, of those who were murdered by someone else? What was the, who was against you in this process of, of getting this as far along as you have? You well, to I'll speak to that. Um, number one was the Memphis community. Um, when you have a history of a prosecutor who has um, the highest level of prosecutorial misconduct, and you're trying to present that and trying to illustrate that you had a lot of people in Memphis who were just not hearing it. 
uh, Memphis doesn't have a good reputation when it comes down to uh, justice. And so when I was meeting certain people, they were telling me, I don't want to touch Memphis. Nobody wanted to touch Memphis. Gotcha. So that was the main challenge that I had. I'm like, somebody's got to touch Memphis. Who's going to be bold enough to be able to do it? And I really think that, you know, those were some of the oppositions that we had. And I just kept meeting people periodically over the course, you know, of my life. And I just kept on and kept on and I just never gave up. And then I started having a few more people who were connecting me with others and say, you try this and try that. And I did that. And I do think that in the wake of George Floyd, that is really what was a turning point to, uh, to everyone. Because the challenge was trying to let people in the community see that this is not a television show that these are conditions that happen not only with Purvis, but throughout our country. And so I believe that when we began, when George Floyd happened, it was like, you know, we just kind of said, Purvis, an innocent man on death row, and then we started to see a whew, you know, like a light bulb came on. So I don't, you know, it was a benefit to us. And unfortunately, he lost his life, but that was a wake up in the culture yeah and the mindset of people that begin to look at these types of things as it relates to racial disparities, injustice, in a different perspective. So that's what I would say is, was the hesitancy. And then, you know, by that time, I got my ride of dies and what they're about to do to purpose. By that time, we didn't care what was going on, what Memphis said. We went down there and we made some noise. Our campaign was like, let's roar, wasn't it? Let's yeah. roar. And I said, let's roar. And we went down there, yes, and we made some noise. And so it was the boldness and that step forward that I had to say, if I didn't do something at this moment, even though Memphis was like, you know, tensed up and what have you, I had people, when I would walk in to court, and they would, they were, there were, um, security guards, and they would say, we're watching, we see. But they couldn't say that in front of everyone. <laughs> but we're watching and we see. We've been following this for a long time. I'm so glad he's finally getting some help. They knew about it, but they knew they had to be hushed about it. You can be hushed, but I can make some noise. So Thank that's you. how, I hope I answered your question. Hi, my name is Meredith Bird. Uh, I work at Democracy Fund and Digital Communications. Uh, thank you for sharing your story and your strategy. I, my question is, now that the Innocence Project has a TikTok channel, can you say a little bit about um, how engagement with TikTok fits into the strategy of current or future campaigns? Yeah, um, great question. Um, number one, so everything, the, the core of the Innocence Project from a comms perspective is education and engagement. So um, we've continued to use it to educate, but also entertainment a bit. So like just the little stories of our clients, like for instance, one of our clients missed Christmas, um, but then came home after Christmas and then his family had a recreated Christmas in like the spring. <laughs> 
And how do you put words on that? You'll have to watch it so you get the full effect, but they re recreated Christmas for him. So a lot of the, um, you know, the, the first meals after prison, um, a lot of the more personal moments we can create um, on TikTok, and by we, I mean Danny, um, not me, but um, it was big in the Melissa Lucio campaign as well, because we knew with TikTok, they have about 30 million active users a day. Um, and billions of, of, of users. And if your video goes viral within five minutes, you'll know there's some formula to it. So it was big for Melissa Lucio. We had people making content for her in Spanish and English. And um, if you look at the, the analytics, a TikTok video that takes a few minutes with some thought to make versus a highly produced two minute video gets a lot more views. Um, so it is a big part of global reach for us. Um, and, it, and it's been a, a big focus. Seven seconds. Along, <laughs> along the same lines on the TikTok, you know, as communicators, we spend a lot of time meticulously crafting messages, and we want a lot of control of the message. What's interesting about this is it got to the point where it was beyond you, where the the public took over the messaging in some ways, which I think is kind of a terrifying prospect, but seems like a very important part of your success. So how did you kind of, how important was it when the, the story got bigger than, than you and your efforts? Um, and my other question is, can you share your playlist with us? <laughs> at Biggie Malls on SoundCloud. Um, so, Purvis literally is a saint. Like, I've, I heard 17 people testify on his behalf that work in prison with him, and he's literally um, an, an extraordinary person. And I think, um, I told you about that track, that blog post, there was nothing, really. Certainly the narrative might, might have been um, personal for Rolanda, the stigma of having a brother, but largely we had the great fortune to set precedent for who was Purvis Payne and what his narrative of. That's not always the case, but for this, it made, um, it made PR control um, much more manageable than when you have very outspoken opposition. In this case, it was the DA who fought us in every move. So I think in that regard, we got lucky, but that's just why you have to monitor because if you do have opposition, they can build, they can build a following on TikTok and get the news to catch wind and the news is right reaching out to them. There is a lot of that. For this, I don't think that we had any um, major crises, but I do think um, to the fundamentals of monitoring the community on all channels, what are the conversations people are saying so you can bring up concerns to the attorneys, um, Certainly, you're going to get, you know, with a with a high, with a case of, of a murder um, of of two people, it's gonna there, there's still going to be some things that that slip through. But if you dominate, if you win on Google, if you win on um, on on social, you can be the dominant narrative. Mm -hmm. And I like to add, I know our time is going, but as you see, those TikTokers, they presented information that they got from your from PurvisPain.org, the hub. So the information was consistent, and then it was up to Alicia, 
and her smart wits and her team to say, we can use this, we can use that to push it out through the text messaging and through the emails. So I think that was a, a nice trigger point too, is that you all were able to monitor what was coming in and say, this is, a good, inf this is good information that relates to what we're already putting out there. I think that was beneficial. And, and, and that goes with like the death penalty campaigns. You want one place that's kind of like um, lawyer approved because if you have different people being the official spokespeople for our client, that's gonna get sticky. Um, so we are very careful to kind of put our foot in first among the, the folks doing um, anti-death penalty work so that exactly your question, there's not multiple conversations flying around um, and attorneys are prioritized so I represent you know I, I support the attorneys and um, hopefully that people follow what they have to say mm -hmm. thank you guys so much thank you